It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. He is a man of all trades, from MusketeerReport.com, the NKU Radio Network, and of course this podcast. But really, it's all the same trade. It's talking it's writing about basketball. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's and pretty other much, nonsense. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, by the way, Rick has a bloodied lower lip, and I have a black eye after last week's podcast. We had a knockdown drag out, and I just said I'd had enough, and I open hand slapped him, and then he... he Cold cock me. Was, I, I think I got sucker punched personally. We've made up since then. We talked to lawyers. We talked it through. Um, there's going to be no lawsuit. I don't think I'm, I'm not going to file one. I believe I'm concussed, so I don't even remember exactly well, what happened. I think you were concussed before last week's podcast. That's yeah, why you, your takes were so bad. You may be right about that. All right. We got a lot to talk about both locally, nationally, and of course, we got our weekly gambling picks at the end of the segment. It so, was not a good week for me once again. Uh, yeah, I treaded water, so we'll see where we go. All right, Rick, hit us off. All right, Skinny, it's that time of year. The birds are chirping. The sun is out. Maybe not here, but somewhere. Spring training has started once again, so we'll start this podcast off in easy fashion. What's the number one storyline that needs to be answered for this Reds team in spring training? I think you get yourself a full month of figuring out how your outfield shakes out. I know that's maybe not one answer, but that's kind of, to me, the biggest answer. Because can Akiyama hit left-handed pitching? And if he can, is he your everyday center fielder? So if he's your everyday center fielder, what do you do then with Nick Senzel? And uh, you give Jesse Winker some at-bats against lefties in spring training to prove once and for all either he can or he cannot hit left-handers. And it's okay if he can't because he murders right-handers. So then do you set up your platoon in left field for him and Philip Irvin or him and you know him and somebody else and you move Castellano one day he's in right, one day he's in left. Does Aquino come out and hit eight home runs in spring or does he go two for 26 and strike out 15 times and you go, okay, we'll start him down in the minors. Scott Shebler's out of options. I don't really think he's in the mix personally, but what if he has a great spring? He's played Major League Baseball before. I don't know where his left-handed bat fits in. So to me, it's how does that all shake out and I think it really pertains to if you're going to make Akiyama the everyday guy in center, which I'm not saying you shouldn't, um, he proved in Japan he could hit both, then what do you do with Nick Senzel at that point? Does he become a super utility guy, for lack of a better term? How about you? Yeah, you went kind of uh, all-encompassing there with where I would have gone with it. And to me, it's just specifically either Akiyama or Akino. One of those two guys, what are they going to give you in spring training? Because for the most part, like... You can look at some other storylines that are really interesting about this team. I think the pitching the pitching staff is obviously a huge, huge storyline. Yeah, but line. you're pretty well. I mean, does, based on no injury, you know what your rotation is going to be. You know what the back end of your your, you, your, your bullpen's going to be. You know what be. it's going to look like, but like, how does Trevor Bauer look? Yeah. How is he going to do that? Like, those are very interesting questions about the red season overall. But in spring training, we're not really going to learn Correct. anything about those guys. So Correct. for me, the only thing I'm really interested to look at is... What does Akiyama do? What does Aquino do in spring training? Because granted, that's not going to be the the, the tell-all about their 2020 season. Right. But at the same time, you can at least see a little bit during spring training from a hitter more so than you can like a pitcher who's working on stuff. Yeah, and that's where, I mean, you've got a full month of that. I, I, most times in spring training, especially for your regulars, you know, Joey Votto's going to get a handful of at bats, and, and as you get closer towards the regular season, obviously he's going to be. You're going to start to get your lineup whittled down more. I, I want to see multiple bats from Aquino. I want to see multiple bats from Akiyama against left-handers. You, I, I want to see some of that. Are you more interested to see Akiyama or Aquino? I uh, yes. 
Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, both. I, to, uh, both. It's weird because it, the I, obvious I believe, answer would be Akiyama because we haven't even seen him in person yet. But for me, it, it's almost a Kino because right. it's like what he did feels so improbable, so it's not going to last that what if he did just start spring training on a tear and you're like, oh, God, this guy might be free. And, and the sad part is we've seen that guy before in the major leagues, right? Uh, the guy that comes up, you're like, oh, he's going to be a 40 home run hitter for life. 98% yeah. of the time, yeah. they're not, right? And so that's that's the thing. Like, if he does start spring training on a tear, I'll admit, my optimism, hope, excitement about him will be through the roof. And then it really becomes interesting because if he starts on a tear, Akayama proves he can hit. Cassianos, the, the one given is Cassianos is going to be an everyday outfielder somewhere. Whether he's in left field one day or right field another day, he's going to be one of those two two corner outfield spots on a given day. So then you're down to Senzel, Akiyama, Aquino, Winker, Irvin. That's five guys. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot to sort out. And I, mean, I think it sorts itself out, but it's a lot to sort out. It is. And the other guys, you kind of know what they are. Like, there's just not a lot of upside there. I think they can be starters in the major leagues, but there's no excitement with those I guys. Mean, it feels like Akiyama and Aquino are such unknowns. Right. It feels like I'm pushing Senzel to the side, and I don't mean to be. Now, possibly, depending on the Eugenio Suarez situation, where they seem to think it's he will be back by the start of the regular season, Maybe you get Senzel multiple games at third base, and as I mentioned before, he becomes the super utility guy. That maybe on a day when it's the, just it's it's the best left hander, and it's Clayton Kershaw, and and Akiyama is is hitting well against lefties, but Senzel is maybe trending good against against lefties or better, and so he can play center field one day. Give Suarez a few days off. Give Mustakas against left handers a couple of days off. Um, he becomes the Ben Zobrist of this team, and I and I like I like a guy like that. I like the the ability to not have to pigeonhole and go. Man, we when we face lefties, we don't have options in our lineup. Well, you do now, and and maybe spring training is a chance to get Senzel some more infield chances and try to build on on what his skill set is. Yeah, and in fact, that might be the value that Senzel brings. Right? right, is his versatility and his ability to play multiple positions. Again, I'm not I'm not down on the guy by any stretch of the imagination. I no, think, I don't think anybody is, but it I feels like other, we're all pushing him to the side. Right, we're talking well, think, Akiyama, Aquino, and Castellanos, and so where does Senzel fit? I do think to a certain extent, like people are sort of just dismissing his potential a little right. bit. I mean, they're acting like because he didn't set the world on fire right away that he has no upside left. Like, I, thought I, he had a, I thought he had actually a pretty a, good... A, a solid year. Yeah, yeah. Like a, I mean, he looks like a, a major league starter yes. as a rookie, which is pretty good. I mean, a Learning lot of guys... position. Yeah, a lot of guys really struggle in that situation. So I'm excited about what he can bring, but I'll also admit that, like, there isn't that crazy upside for him, I don't think, anymore like there could be for a guy like Aquino. Yeah. All right, Skinny... Online sportsbook Bet Online AG has the Bengals win total at five and a half for the 2020 season. The defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs were given the highest win total in the NFL at 11 and a half games. As for the other teams in the AFC North, the Ravens' win total was set at 11, the Steelers at nine, and the Browns at eight. Also, Joe Burrow was given odds of 66 to one to win the MVP. Do you think the Bengals go over or under five and a half wins in 2020? Rookie quarterback, I, I still don't know if I trust what they will do in the offseason to upgrade other positions other than the draft. I'm going slightly under. I'd go 5-11. and 11, But I think if you ask me this question after the draft and after the, the offseason moves are made, I think I'd have a better question. I may be more definitive on the under at that point. But I also, I'm, I'm, I would hope to be more definitive on the over, that if you do go to free agency and add an offensive lineman and you do go to – 
free agency and add a linebacker and or a corner, um, if not both. And you and you do pick up some quality pieces aside from Joe Burrow in, in the draft. I don't think a, a turnaround from two and fourteen to seven and nine is outlandish. I don't. It happens in this league, um, or even six and ten in this case. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Um, but I, I, that's a pretty good win total. I think they set it at a pretty good number. Yeah, I think five or six feels right where they're going to be. So five and a half is the right, right. number. What did you What did you say? You think they will or won't? I, I, no, I said I, I said I'd lean towards the under right now. You're going under because I don't trust what they won't do in free agency, and that's where you're going to have to upgrade at linebacker and offensive line. You're not going to because here's the thing: everybody keeps thinking about you. You can address some of that in the draft, and you can address some of it. But a lot of times you're addressing that with a number one pick, right? Well, your number one pick, you're addressing your quarterback. So then suddenly now you – and if you don't franchise tag A.J. Green, which I'm still on the fence on that, and we're closing in on that. That'll be next next week when they can possibly do that. Um, if you don't franchise tag A.J. Green, well, chances are that in round two you're going to probably have to draft the wide receiver, which is fine. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that as long as you take the A.J. Green money and apply that towards an offensive lineman and or a linebacker and or a corner. And I just don't know if I trust him to do that. Yeah, I don't trust them to do that at all, in fact, because it seems like they're never willing to spend money in free agency. I, man, I, I'm, I'm kind of shocked to hear you go under because you're usually the optimist when we do these over-under numbers in the offseason. And it's still I, a rookie quarterback. And, right or wrong, it's still a rookie quarterback. That's fair, but you were also the guy telling me that like they, they were just a couple plays away from having a five or six wins this and year. They did, they and they were right. I mean, Se- if, the Seattle game, I mean, the Seattle game, they, they, they handed the game to Seattle. They were nicked up a lot. Yeah. Obviously, Miami Green was missing most of the year. Right. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going over. Okay. I, I think right. there's a very, I mean, at five and a half, I think there is a very good chance that this team ends up with six wins next year. I mean, I don't love the Steelers. I don't love the Browns. I, so I don't think like in your division, the it's the is, best I think it's I ever take, been. I think I'd take the Browns over the eight though. I really do. I think I take the Browns early. I think the skill set is good. I think that they. I mean, they were such a dis- they were such a disappointment this past year, and you have to play, pin at least a decent amount of on that Freddy on Kitchens, Freddie Kitchens, no doubt. I, I, the Ravens' total, I think, is too high. Um, I think all you are is one Lamar Jackson injury away from being a five win team or a six win team. I think he means Ooh. that that much to them. Wow. Um, now again, that, that's if he doesn't get hurt, then that eleven number comes into play. Uh, yeah, I again, we're, here's what we're pinning our hopes on to go that over. We're pinning on Joe Burrow's going to be great. He's not going to be great in his rookie year. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't expect that. Yeah, but that's but, what we're pinning it on. But, I mean, Andy Dalton wasn't great. We're pinning it on Jonah Williams coming in and being an NFL caliber left tackle. I, I mean, you drafted him for that reason, but I still haven't seen him play a down of NFL football. And I mean, until these, I do, I got I, 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 I can't. It's hard for me to... to those, those are things you're, you're, you're needing to to be good at in the NFL though. Right. To, to get to six wins you don't necessarily have to be good there's so much no. parity in this league we just mentioned the fact that the, last year's team which was a total disaster but, should have probably won four or five games as we sit here today at this very second who is the starting right tackle that's a good question well Bobby, Bobby Hart. Hart correct as we sit here today Bobby Hart who's the starting left guard Michael Jordan or Billy Price as we sit here today um, as we sit here today, we're pinning our hopes on. Are, hold on, on, are you trying to convince me that the Bengals' offensive line sucks? Because I'm well aware of that. If you haven't listened well, to this podcast, no, that's where I go back to. You need to address that in free agency. You need to bring in a bona fide. Give sure. me a bona. Give I, me a. Bo- that's what I'm saying. Take the AJ Green money. Give me a bona fide right tackle. Give me a bona fide linebacker. And I might even tell you this team pushes for eight wins. Aren't you the guy who's been telling me Jonathan Williams is going to be the second coming all year when I've been saying their offensive line stinks? I, I, all I can say for Jonah Williams is that. Yeah, Jonah, excuse yeah, yeah, me, right. Jonathan. 
you drafted him in the first round for a reason, and everybody had him as graded there, so you're, you have a belief. I'm just saying more with offensive linemen coming out of college. I don't believe in any of them. I just don't. Me neither, but that... This is. I feel like we've had a total ro- role reversal from what we've been saying all of football season. Okay. I don't know why. I've, so you're going over at this stage. I'm going under. Yeah, except I feel but like I'm, not I'm ta- on the, the is, underside. The thing is, I'm not making this wager yet, are you? No, hell no. Uh, okay, all right. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for some First of all, I'm sticking with my rule that I put in place week two last year of I'm not betting on the Bengals, period. Fair enough. Fair enough. Point blank. I am not betting on the Bengals anymore because there is at least some emotion – Involved there that it, that blinds my judgment when it comes I, to I have two on future wager tickets in my closet. I have the Reds over eighty three wins, and I have Maryland uh, to get to the final four at odds of thirty one to one. How you feel about that Maryland pick right now? I feel good about that Maryland pick right now. They're rolling, baby, okay. rolling. All right, just came off a big win over Northwestern. Wouldn't you feel good about that? Yeah, I feel great about that. They're number one. They lead the Big Ten. Somebody's got to win that league. <laughs> All right, Skinny, let's stay with the Bengals for one more topic. The Joe Burrow conversation just won't go away. This time it was Steve Barkowski, a former number one overall selection by the Falcons in 1975, who was the latest to spout off about why Burrow should avoid Cincinnati. Quote, they're Ohio guys, Barkowski said of Burrow's family. I might have offended them by telling them that if it's the Bengals, I think I'd pull an Eli Manning on that one. I said, you've got a chance to do that. That's happened. John Elway kind of set the tone. Then the Mannings delved into it after Eli was picked by San Diego. It's not the best organization. You know, times change. Things change. Atlanta wasn't a good organization until Arthur Blank bought the team. It was a terrible organization. They didn't know the right hand from the left, to be honest. I know what it's like to go to a bottom feeder team. I'd hate to see that happen to him, to be honest. They beat me up. I spent more time at the hospital recuperating from injuries my first three years than I did throwing touchdowns. It was tough. For his part... Burrow basically said the same thing he's been saying, noting that he has leverage and both he and the Bengals have a process that needs to take place still. Skinny, is there a point we get to where this becomes a real thing? Does this conversation go on long enough to where we have to say, okay, maybe where there's smoke, there is fire? Uh, Does it become problematic for the Bengals at any point, or is this just silly season? It's complete silly season. Um Steve Barkowski was a good quarterback, and he actually had some good weapons around him. Alfred Jenkins was a good receiver. He had William Andrews in the backfield. They made the playoffs one year. The defense actually was really good. Some of actually, honestly, Steve Barkowski at times threw a lot of interceptions. So, I look, I... I that I, was Arthur Blank's fault. I, yeah, I know. I, I get all these guys trying to rally around the kid and whatnot. Um, and the Bengals have, have earned their reputation, right? I mean... I'm not feeling sorry for the Bengals organization with people taking pot shots at it. I'm not. Not I mean, at all. They, they've, they've earned this. The only thing that becomes problematic is if finally Joe Burrow says, you know what, I'm not I'm not coming. Um, you're going to know that before the draft. I mean, it's not like suddenly draft day is going to come and you take Joe Burrow and he goes, I'm not going to play. You're going to know that before the draft because Joe Burrow's not going to want to put his name in a hat if he's basically telling the Bengals, I'm not going to, to go there. That's a lose-lose for both, Right. Right. That, that's the part I think nobody gets here. That's a lose-lose for both. That's a lose for Joe Burrow because guess what? If you don't tell them that, they are going to take you. And then if you decide after the fact... Now you're sitting out, Bob. Yeah, good luck. Then you won't be the number one pick next year. You won't be. I, I, and again, um, until I hear it from him definitively, I'm not buying any of this crap. So that's what I was just going to bring up. I mean, right now, we're both of the opinion that he doesn't have any issue with playing in Cincinnati. Like, it may not be his first choice, obviously. It Correct. probably isn't anyone's first choice. But he hasn't really said anything that seems to suggest that he doesn't want to be taken number one overall. You agree with that? Yes, right? right? Absolutely. Is there concern on your part that at some point, the the social media conversation, the constant 
media cycle gets to the point where it does influence him. Like he's like, God, maybe I should be thinking this way. Or do you think I, I it's think nonsense? He, I I think it's nonsense. I do because I I think you do. Listen, the ego trip and the and the money. Although it's you know you don't negotiate anymore. You're slotted, but the slot money for the number one overall pick is better than the number two pick and better than the number three pick and better than being the fifth pick next year. I mean, so I I think when push comes to shove, he's going to, he's going to be more than happy to be the number one overall pick and and play for the Bengals. Um, And if he doesn't, you'll know that I think before the draft and then move on to a different direction. What what really pisses me off, and it's fi- to me it's fine when like someone like Barkowski here makes a statement because he's trying to be relevant and, and yes. get someone to post his his quote somewhere. That's fine. I get that from media member stand from media member standpoint. When you have the constant news cycle and and constant clicks that need to be filled, and you're at this time of the year where there's not a lot to fill those clicks, I get. It. If someone says that, you're going to take it. You're sure. going to run with it. What is bothering me about this conversation and this constant story is when people start bending Joe Burrow's quotes to act like he has said something derogatory about Cincinnati or derogatory about the Bengals. Like he has been very consistent in saying, I have a process, they have a process. It's basically been, I'm not going to talk about being their quarterback until I'm their quarterback, which is what he should be saying. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. I don't think it's his responsibility to stand up and say, yes, I want to play for the Cincinnati Bengals and I have no problem going there when he hasn't even been taken by right. them by them yet. So that doesn't bother me. It does bother me that media members will take a quote like, I have leverage, and use that as him saying he doesn't want to play for the Bengals when that's not at all what he's saying. He's like saying, I have leverage and we have a process to play out. Yeah, at, at the combine, um, in, in whatever meetings he has with the Bengals, Maybe he walks away feeling great of they've got a direction, they've got a plan, love Duke Tobin, love Zach Taylor, I'm in. He probably won't. And and maybe he comes out of that and goes, they are clueless. I, I'm What everybody's saying is right. I'm, and, and that's where you keep hearing this process. That's a part of the process. I think you need to both sides. Maybe the Bengals go in and go, this guy's a clown. Let's let's do something different. Right. I don't think that's going to happen, but, but, it, but, it, but it could. But we're not even to the combine yet. Right. Well, these meetings haven't taken place, and yet all this – posturing is seemingly going on in the media when really nothing is happening at this point nothing has changed from last week when we talked about this the week before when we talked about it or the week before two weeks before that when we talked about it because we keep having the same conversation i'd like to not have it anymore but what else is going on in cincinnati sports and it keeps coming up and every i mean i listened to lance show this week i listened to mo's show this week they talk about this the phone lines light up people are talking about it i mean it's to me, it's kind of annoying at this point. And, and here's my last point to this is, guess what? As a fan and as a jerk, you got no control over it. So, honestly, you really you have no control over this. So, why fret about it? Either he's going to be here or he's not. And if he's not, guess what? At that point, I think as the Bengals organization, you will know. And then you'll make a decision accordingly. You may not like the decision they make. And, and it's easy not to trust whatever decision they make will be. But... What good is fretting over this going to do for the next two months? No, and in fairness, I haven't seen a lot of fans fretting so much as I've seen fans oh, just being annoyed and pissed off. No, I, I think a lot are fretting. And maybe that's the case, but a lot of the people I've seen on social media are calling fret. into you don't shows. You fret all the time. You don't want to be a fretter. No, you don't need to be a fretter. But a lot of the people I've seen are just pissed off at all the national media members who keep wanting to say that he's not coming here when he hasn't said that. Yeah, the only thing I would say is the national media narrative on the Bengals is fair. It is fair. But it's not fair towards Joe Burrow. No, right. That's that's right. It is I'll fair towards the Bengals, but it is a little bit ridiculous that they keep acting like he's doing. Because like in 
right or wrong, the narrative or the way that gets spun is that like the person is kind of a prima donna or a diva or they have an attitude to them or they're a look at me type of person and selfish. That may not be true. I, I kind of think you should do what's best for you and when it comes to professional endeavors, but that's how it will get spun. So that's why I think it's kind of unfair to keep saying he's this type of guy. And maybe because this is a draft that's been a rare one of late where there is a slam dunk, surefire number one overall pick, right? And that's what leads you to the silly season of the only conversation, the conversation isn't generated of, is it going to be Baker Mayfield or Fred Smith or Jack Johnson or Jim Jones? This is, it's Joe Burrow or it's Joe Burrow deciding to pull an Eli. And then the other storyline is, well, maybe the Bengals will trade out of the number one pick because they'll get this. And I I brought that one up myself because I think that's relevant. We've tried with that one and and a few people have tried with the Tua storyline to get that going. But no one's buying that because Joe was so dominant at the end of the season. When you go into the uh, post-game interview smoking a cigar after you win MVP, like that's not going to be a conversation. So, so they have to create conver- the conversation somehow, exactly. and it has to and be this because it's not who's going to be number that's one. That's exactly right, yeah. All right, let's switch gears here. After a brief and tumultuous tenure, John Beeline is leaving the Cleveland Cavaliers as head coach. The Cavs are promoting associate head coach J.B. Bickerstaff to become the full-time head coach, and he'll run his first practice Wednesday evening, league sources said. Bayline left the University of Michigan and signed a five-year contract with Cleveland that included a team option for the final season, a deal that paid him more than $4 million a season. He and the Cavs negotiated a financial settlement that will pay him a portion of the remaining money on his contract. Skinny, what do you think is ahead for John Bayline, who is now 67 years old? If I was him, I think I'd find a nice beach somewhere and call it a day. But I think he's like a lot of guys. He wants to coach. And I think if you're a Division I college basketball program, um, that has an opening, you'd be stupid not to hire John Beeline. Look, the, the problem with this these guys jumping college to pros is this, and I get it. Trust me, as a coach, I get it. You, we all think we can coach our way out of any situation. We all think that we can take Team A that has very little talent, and I'll coach them up. You know, you realize you probably can't coach that team to a title, but I'll, I'll coach them to better than 14 and 40, which is, I think, what they were um, under John, John Beeline. And you you just can't. And I get it. And look, for all kinds, John Beeline is is, is a, he's a he's a great basketball coach. He's a great great basketball coach. And I don't think what he did in the NBA suggests that he's a poor coach in any way. It's just a different league. Because you know what? In that league, and I say it, and I know you and Chad have crowned me for it. I'm not sure coaching matters a whole lot. It really. I mean, if you got players, you're going to win. If you don't have players, you're not going to win. Now, can there be some some tweaks to that a little bit? Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of that. Oh, it matters just as much as it does in college. The college is the exact same way. College, you can be though, a great college, coach with but, bad players. But, but, but college, you at least control the situation of getting players. In the league anymore, you don't really control that. The players control that as much as anything else. Well, yeah, and your front office does. Yeah. I mean, you're not as much in control of that. I will agree with that part of it. You don't get to set your roster as much as you do at the right. college level. Right. You're not ultimately responsible for that. But I totally disagree that coaching doesn't matter in the NBA. I mean, it's the same way. Look, basketball's a five-man sport. Let me ask you this. Like, Is Steve Kerr suddenly a bad coach? No, I don't think anyone would suggest that. I agree. He's not. But Skinny, saying, saying but I that Steve Kerr, lost... I don't think Steve Kerr's a great coach. I would disagree with that. Okay. Um, just because a team has a bad season doesn't mean they have a bad coach, and that—I mean—that's mm. a silly argument to make. That's not the argument I'm making. Okay, but it's—it's it's, it's completely in the league. Either you got players, or you don't have players. Well, I mean, but then why would you say is Steve Kerr a bad coach I just because he had no, a bad no. year? I don't think he's a bad coach. My point is, I don't think he's as great as what he did with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Those guys, I think it was those guys are great, and I don't think he's an awful coach right now because they're one of the worst teams in the league because he doesn't have Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. So I, I get it. I think it's there's somewhere in between. Yeah, but, I mean, 
Yes, you are right about that. Like the players make it and obviously having a loaded roster made Steve Kerr what he was, but we've also seen plenty of rosters that have lots of talent, multiple superstars that don't pan out. Look at what the Rockets have done multiple times now through different iterations. Sixers are another good example, although I don't know that they're built as well. Um, Coaching matters in basketball. I mean, we're going down a rabbit hole that has nothing to do with this conversation really, but as it relates to John Beeline, I think the bigger issue for him was the generational gap that he yeah. was working with. The NBA guys, just they're adults. It's not rah-rah. It's not the Bob Knight era. Doesn't, but he's not a Bob Knight kind of coach, though. Mm, but he kind of is. I mean, he, he's not in terms of like screaming and rah-rah in your face, but he's an old-school guy who thinks I'm in control. Fundamentals I treat you like a kid, yeah. and you listen to me, and I'm a, I'm a drill sergeant, so to speak. That's never going to work again in the NBA. The NBA, the college people still accept it a little bit. I mean, you saw the, the whole thing with Izzo when he got mad at Aaron Henry right. last year and balled up his fist, acting like he was going to fight the kid, and everyone rushed to Tom Izzo's defense like he needed it. That doesn't happen in the NBA. No, correct. People think you're That's a clown right. when yeah. you do stuff Agreed. like that because you're dealing with millionaires who are adults and aren't going to take that. And that's what John Beeline had no concept of. And I think that's what's, that's the issue. Like Guys can go from college to NBA very smooth. Like Brad um, Stevens. Stevens had no issue going from Butler to the NBA. A younger guy of the newer generation understood what that was going to be about. Plus, he's a great coach. I think Beeline is still a really good coach but he had no concept of the generational gap and how the players were going to react to him. Yeah, so so why did Cleveland think this was a good hire? I think because they were desperate. It was a name. Like, I think they thought it looked good, but I think I knew knew when they made the hire that it was a bad idea. Because it was a bad roster, so you're not going to win. And if in that's the thing in in college, if you lose 8, 9, 10, 11 times, that's that's a lot, but you can live with that because you're 21 and 11 or 22 and 11. 40 losses in 54 games, that does take a toll. Whether you know your roster sucks or not, you still think you can coach your way out of that. Yeah, and then granted, I mean, he didn't get any type of chance to coach his way out of it because he was going to need more players before they were ever going to be competitive. And he showed this year he was just never – it was never going to work out in terms of chemistry, him getting through to the players. I mean, he called them thugs Thugs, at one point and got in trouble with that. Kevin Love hates him, doesn't even listen to him, has – Multiple players have called him out in the media. Like there was just a big disconnect between him and that locker room. At least, at least he didn't act like crazy Uncle Ron Yans, who got who got fired by our our local soccer That's team. That's not great. Shout out to Cincinnati <laughs> Did, Sports. Honestly, does he not look like the crazy drunk uncle that just shows up on holidays? Huh? I, and then just comes and spews stuff at the dinner table. You're like, can Uncle Ron leave at some point now, please? Imagine hiring that guy. <laughs> And then subsequently firing, firing him, him a few months later. That's a good organization, by the way. Re- really doing good stuff. Good work. All right. Uh, but, well, let's wrap up this yeah. conversation. Where might we see him at the college level? Because I think that's what everyone expects is to see him back in college. I, I think so he's who, still at a high, high major level. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But who's the high major? Well, I mean, Texas, I think, is the most yeah, obvious Yeah, Shaka's answer. not done the best of jobs there. I'm trying to think what would come open in the Big Ten, if anything. I mean, he, l- l- let's face it. John Beeline doing this at this time means he most likely is going to try to get a job this spring as yeah, soon as they open and he got, up. And he got a little coin to, to tide him over. And Texas is going to be open. the big job yeah. that opens up this year. Yeah, yeah. So he's probably the hottest name, given his, given his pedigree, that would be available this year. Probably the easiest one to be had. I have to imagine it's Texas. I think Indiana, Indiana could be in Indiana's, play. Indiana could be in play. But like, do you... Honestly, do you want that job? Like, I think John Beeline would go over well at Indiana. This is a conversation for another podcast. 
and it, and it goes. What has happened to Indiana's program from going from a blue blood to unrealistic expectations? To this? Unrealistic. Their their fan base is their issue. Point blank. Period. But man, you were a blue. You were a top five blue blood for a long time. That's why. Where, pe- where, where did that's, that go? It's why people don't appreciate John Calipari nearly enough because he handles those expectations at Kentucky that are over the top and almost impossible to reach. And he can he can handle not reaching the actual expectations and continue to be great. Almost everyone else gets swallowed up by that type of fan base, and it's a very unique fan base. I mean, it's it's Kentucky, it's Indiana, yeah, yeah, right? It's probably Duke if Coach K is no longer there. Um, it's Kansas. I don't even know if they're that crazy. Maybe I, I guess for them though, Kansas the aren't as nationwide. No, maybe not. But the consistency of success though of them is, I mean, they're winning Big Twelves every single that, year. That's the thing. They've, I mean, they're they're so consistent right now, and they're so regional. I mean, they are Kansas, and that's about it. Yeah, fair as enough. Compared to Indiana, UK, which are just these nationwide fan bases, um, I I don't know that I'd want Indiana if I were him, especially at that age. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's probably Texas. The only other one, if I were him, I would be really really interested in any Pac-12 job I could get because it's a it's a garbage league. It's easy to win. Yeah, the ACC. But what is, comes open there though? I mean, I don't know. It's, I mean, unless something would happen with Sean Miller, but I would have thought that would have happened by now, right? The, so nothing there. Well, I mean, I guess there's still the possibility that like Sean Miller, Will Wade, some of those guys, like those findings, still could yeah. be presented to the NCAA and they could be in trouble down the line. Here, Bill Self actually is yeah, still yeah. up in the air. I guess technically with that, so Kansas. Could still be an option, which if Kansas came open, I think that'd be probably the front runner. Well, and if if that something like that comes open, then dominoes start falling too. On top of it, sure. Um, the only other interesting spot, if we're looking at maybe a slightly lower level, if he doesn't get like a top tier job, Wake Forest. The ACC yeah. seems kind of ripe for the picking right now. There's only a couple good teams like Duke, Louisville. Um, Danny Manning has to be gone. I would. Think. I would think so too. So this is what, five years in now. Yeah, is Wake Forest still a good enough job? That I don't John think it is. I, 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 don't think it is. I, don't I don't know that it is either. But part of that, I would have said in the past, is because the ACC is so good that you don't want to take a, mi- a middle tier ACC job. Right now, it's not that good. Like I think you can compete I, I, in the but ACC, I, but I still think it's a lower tier ACC job though. For sure. So I mean, I think it makes it even tougher. But I think you can get to the top of the ACC quicker right now than you could have maybe three or four years ago. Anyway, all right, let's keep it moving mlb commissioner rob manfred has been in the news this week after speaking multiple times about the mlb's investigation in the astros cheating scandal his comments have made people angry as he's clumsily defended the investigation as well as the punishments handed down and players across the league have been quoted criticizing the commissioner for his comments and the punishments do you agree with the punishments handed down by major league baseball and do you think all the criticism of manfred is warranted or over the top skinny i think the punishments are fine i know people want the players punished and I just think that's hard. That's going to be hard to define. I mean, what would the punishment be? So I have zero issue with the players being, whether it's suspended for a year, multiple years, kicked out of the sport forever. I think this is really a, they got caught red-handed cheating in real games okay. that mattered at the highest level. Like we've barely ever had this egregious of a scandal before in sports and i'm drawing a complete blank but there's a catcher on another team that was with the astros who said he was completely against this so what about how how do we define did george springer decide i'm not taking part of this but jose altuve did and alex bregman did but carlos correa didn't i mean how do we know who did and who didn't who benefited and who didn't how do we know that yeah that's a good question i'm not the investigator so i think what you do is the people who investigated it and did all the work get to kind of decide that and then wh- whoever you decided was was guilty i have no problem how strict they are they were with them now what ended up happening i think is a total slap on the wrist people 
wanting to like what what they actually did means nothing. It affects absolutely nothing. No, to it the affects Astros. it affects the GM of the Astros who is now gone, and AJ which is Hitch meaningless. Is now gone, right? Yeah, and, and, and Alex Cora, the manager, is meaningless. Um, I am. I'd be interested. Like fans seem to want the the World Series taken away from them. What does that do? It does nothing. And they got so mad about Rob Manfred making the point of I didn't really see it as a big deal to take away a piece of metal. Yeah, and a piece they, of metal was a wrong thing It was to a say. bad quote because he knows everyone's out to get him and right he, now. And he completely but backtracked. And he, but and he apologized. He, but he's absolutely right about his point that what good does it... It's like taking down Louisville's banner at the Yum yeah. Center. Does anyone really care? Does anyone say, like, that anyone that Louisville lost to that year or that lost to Louisville that year now say, oh, great, we didn't lose. Now we're the champions? It does allow me to poke at my my future son-in-law that he's a Louisville fan that, hey, nice banner that got taken down. So I get to do that often to him. So. Yeah, but really, you know what he remembers is the year that they won the championship yeah, and how much right. fun he had. That's so it point. doesn't take away those memories or the, how much fun that is. Like, taking away banners and championships is the dumbest punishment in all of sports. It means absolutely nothing. I am totally with Rob Manfred on that point. Do you strip the organization of their postseason revenue, maybe? Uh, or postseason opportunities going forward. Like, give See, them. The, I don't know if you can do this going forward, though. You've nipped it in the bud. So, how, how do you I don't give know. them the death penalty? Oh my goodness! Why? But, but, well, but you've cleaned. You've cleaned out at least the organizers of this. Yeah, and what? So, like, if you actually want to stop this stuff from happening, but I go back to t- say I, the Astros don't get to compete in the postseason this year or next year. Nah, I, I think that's reaching way, why? way, way too far. I just don't why? think you can do that moving forward. I just don't. Because I think you've cleaned out the the, the problem. The problem. Why all the players? The players are still there. The players again, that cheated are still to, there. They I haven't been I, done I, anything. I don't know who cheated, who benefited, and who didn't. Who but we know it was the players and not the okay. coaches and so if you're front gonna, office it, people. It, based on what you're saying, and I I think this is over the top. But based on what you're saying, then I think you do things to the individual players. I don't think you do it to the organization. Well, and I, I think if you did it to some of the individual players, you do hurt the organization. Again, there's almost nothing that could be done right here that I would think is too much punishment. Like if you wanted to suspend the team from the postseason for a year or two, fine with that. You want to get that's rid not going to happen. I know. Obviously, it didn't happen. Nothing happened. You want to get rid of the players for a year or more or forever? Fine with that. Like anything they wanted to do, I'd be fine with doing nothing. Pretty insulting. Pretty embarrassing. Quite honestly. It's going to be nothing but rampant cheating going forward for the I, history of baseball, which it already is. I, I mean, steroids are yeah. rampant, which is it's kind of funny that we get so out, bent out of shape about this stuff when steroids are going on. Well, too. I, I've always made the point on steroids is at least it, everybody's doing. Well, it. not everybody. See, that's the issue. If I'm a member of the Players Association, I'm the one that's going to go, listen, man, this cat's costing me money because you know what? He's putting up 40 home run numbers as a second baseman, and he's a 20 home run guy or he's an 18 home run guy. So he's making all this money. I'm playing by the rules. See, I think that I think the Players Association always should have nipped that in the bud because they were costing their own people money at that point. Yep, and they're doing it again because it, I don't think the Players Association, in this regard, I think I think individual players and pitchers will probably take care of some of this. I mean, Nick Markakis wants a beating, so he wants to beat somebody for the Astros. We'll see how that goes. I just, I, I think the, the, the I think. The, the 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 cows are out of the barn here. You're not going to be able to get them all back. Just just nip it right now. Stop it right now. Put something concrete in place that says if you are caught doing this moving forward, then we will 
suspend your organization for a year. We will ban you from postseason for a year. Why do you need the warning? Like It's, it's not a warning. I think you put the rule in concrete place. You put the punishment in concrete place. Why does that need to happen? We know you can't cheat. Like That is the most obvious thing. It's everybody has cheated forever in the game. But we, Ping pong, or, uh, tennis balls in bats, cork in bats, but this is exact, spitters. But this is exactly what I don't understand. We have literally, and I'm not here to defend Pete Rose. I hate the man. I, I have no love for him. I'm fine with him being suspended forever from baseball. Or, or booted from the game, banned from the game. But we did that. Why do we act like that's now? It's like, oh, we couldn't possibly suspend a guy from the postseason. Why? Why couldn't we be harsher when it's cheating? Like you defending cheating is so bizarre I'm not to me. Che- I, I'm saying you need the concrete rule now and the punishment in place. Why if couldn't you do, do a? It already happened. B. It does, why why couldn't you do it after? Like you know you can't cheat. That rule's already been there. You don't need a new rule for that. Suspend them, find them, punish them. Why do you need to do it after? Why do you need to say, oh, we didn't have a rule in place? Yes, there was. You knew they couldn't cheat. That's why they got investigated. Again, is, is using a spitter or using a scuff ball cheating? Or putting tennis balls in bats and cork in bats cheating? Yes, and you get kicked out of the game for that and suspended for that. You know you would. Okay, you get, you get thrown out of a game for that, and you may get a two-game suspension for that. Right. These guys didn't even get that. I just think didn't I, even I, get that. I, I think think about it. They I, didn't even get that. I think it's just hard to pin it on individual players. I think you've pinned it on the organization. At least a couple people in the organization. I mean, that, that's just an absolute. You want to strip them of postseason money for the postseason money they earn? Then, then that's fine. Hit, hit them in the pocketbook too. I'll give you that part. What does that do? They just won a World Series. They made billions of dollars off of winning okay, a World Series. Really about care then, about five then, million then bucks? Not stripping them of the title. So then, what do you do? I just said you I, suspend them from the postseason. I I, you suspend yeah, the players again, for life. Moving forward, I, I don't. I don't know what that solves. People won't do it if you get banned for life. That's pretty simple. People won't do it if you lose postseason opportunities. Oh, people will still do it. Well, they will, but they'll. There's at least there's a deterrent. Right now, if I was in Major League Baseball, I'd be figuring out how my team is cheating this year because there's no punishment for it. Absolutely none. $5 million for a World Series? I'd pay that right now if I'm an owner. Hell, I'd pay that if I was a manager. Maybe. Not, no, not maybe. Absolutely, 1,000%. Okay, but it sounds like the outrage from other players are not going to let this happen. Do you think, I mean, do you think that's the case? No, I don't. I of think they're all hypocritical BSers, to yeah, be honest with you. I agree. This is faux outrage from these guys. Totally agree. Because, look, if somebody had, had guts on the Astros that didn't like this, they should have stood up at that point and said something about it. I would agree with that. And also... Wade Miley included. Agreed. I totally agree with that. And also, the all, all these players that um, are, are talking about Rob Manfred and him being weak, it's the Players Association that got them the immunity. That's the Players Association rule. They don't let anyone testify without getting immunity first. That's why all the players got off without any punishment because they weren't going to be able to get any test. That's right, Rob Manfred's fault. No, it's not. And that's everyone's criticizing Rob Manfred and saying he's spineless. Look, the guy's a buffoon. He's an idiot. But it is the same. It's the same model as NFL uses with Roger Goodell. He is in place to be the clown, so we yell at him and get mad at him, so the owners don't well, take any heat. It's the, the same as Roger Goodell. Because, he's doing yeah, his job. He's employed by the owners. Yeah, he's, so who are you going to protect? He's Mark Emmert of the NCAA protecting the presidents. He's Roger Goodell of the NFL protecting the owners. His job is to be the buffoon and for us to be mad at him. He's he's doing a good job right now. People think he's bad. He's great right now because we're all mad at him, yelling at him, when really it's the Players Association and the owners that are the problem. They're the ones that let this happen. Do you believe any part of players doing something about this during the season when they play the Astros? Yeah, they'll hit them. 
Sure. What's that? What's that do? Who cares? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know what that does either. Look, like Trevor Bauer's crazy. He'll throw at somebody for sure. He'll, he'll fight somebody over this. But like, what's that do? It adds more entertainment to the game. I'm for that. But it's I, not going to stop it from happening. I, I will say this for baseball. While this looks like a black eye. Guess what people have been doing all offseason? Talking about baseball. Talking baseball, it's, man. Uh, and, and listen, the high drama now when Houston plays, you're going to want to watch because you want to see the car wreck, right? Yeah. Oh, and for the record, I am 100 on board with the fact that all of professional sports are a male soap opera. And I shouldn't even say male. It's just a soap opera, period, for whoever wants to watch it. But obviously, males don't tend to watch Days of Our Lives as much, so this is our version of it. But it's all about I the— I like Days of Our Lives. It's all about the drama— I like Marlena. I knew, I knew you did. But it, it's the same way with the and NFL. Hope, Hope, I always had a crush on Hope. Remember Deflategate? I do. Allison Sweeney started on Days of Our Lives, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Bob Huggins earned his 879th <laughs> career win Wednesday night. His number 17 West Virginia beat Oklahoma Chris State 65 Hang on, Chris Welsh. Hang on, Chris Welsh's college roommate is on Days of Our Lives. How about that? Who's Chris Welsh? For the Reds. Oh, okay. Bob Huggins earned his 879th career win Wednesday night as number 17 West Virginia beat Oklahoma State 65-47. The victory ties Huggins with North Carolina's Dean Smith for sixth all-time among coaches. Skinny, how do you view Bob Huggins in terms of all-time great basketball coaches? That's a great question, man. Top six all-time? No, definitely not that. I, I, I don't even know if I go top 20 of all-time, but I think he's a really good basketball coach. I think he's he, The thing for him that's interesting is – just the level of consistency in multiple programs. Um, you know, all those 21 years in NCAA tournaments at UC and the year at Kansas State and what he's done at West Virginia. And, yeah, he's had he's probably had more hiccups at West Virginia with, you know, seasons than he ever had, even close to had at UC. Really didn't have hiccups, hiccups, hiccups at UC other than his own hiccup puking on a cop car. Um, that was a bit of a hiccup. But um, the consistency and the fact taking two, two programs to Final Fours that – Look, West Virginia is not a consistent Final Four program. They've always been a very good program. Even when Gail Catlett coached them, they were a consistent NCAA tournament team, but never really made a lot of noise in the tournament. UC hasn't been to a Final Four since, uh, Bob Huggins. So, I mean, I think you have to, and, and who knows what the Kenya Martin team might have done. I know that's one of the great what-ifs of all time, but I think even you'd argue, you could, you'd agree that that was the best team in the regular season that year in college basketball, and it would have been interesting to see what that team would have done. So I think he's in, in a group of, when you look and go, Dude was a really good coach. I, I think he deserves that. Yeah, without question. I don't know if he's elite, but yeah, I don't either. Um, but yeah, he's really good. I mean, like you said, going to Final Four at multiple schools and Kansas State. He was really good while he's at Kansas right. State too. He's done it at multiple programs and multiple conferences. Um, and honestly, when where he started at UC was a different level than where it ended up. And obviously, he went on to bigger things after that. So, I think Bob Huggins is really good. He's Obviously, one of the bigger characters that we've seen too from the head, from no question. a head coach. I mean, I I think I'll always remember him for it was actually not that long ago, maybe two or three seasons ago, the time where it looked like he was having a heart attack on the sideline. He literally just started rubbing his chest for a second, about three or four good rubs as he was like on a knee, rub it out, and then just rub it out, kept on going, like screaming at his players, going nuts. And it's like that man literally just rubbed some dirt on a heart attack. <laughs> He just walked it off. I mean, the, the the weird part is he's probably won what, and I'd have to go back and do math. I'm just doing this ballpark. 350 games since his heart attack? Maybe more? I Wait, mean, the actual heart attack? The actual heart attack, about, yeah. Not the one that I watched. No, 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 yeah, yeah. no, the actual heart attack. He's probably won 350 or 400 games 
since that point in time. And he's looked like he, he it's looked for the past 15 years like he was going to just literally blow up on the side. I mean, literally a human being blowing up on the sideline. That's that's a that's the analytics we need. Who has the most career wins after a heart attack? It's got to be Hugs. It's got to be Hugs. Way up there. Also, best maternity clothes on the no AAU question. circuit. No question. I love going to EYBL games and seeing him with the like the mom jean shorts with the stretch band oh around boy. his waist. That's brutal. And then a, a giant West Virginia um pullover. Pullover that just looks like a tent. Yeah, he's that you would he, rent. He, he 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 is not the snappiest of dressers. It's funny though. You go back to some of his early UC days when he was a little svelte, wearing a tie and a jacket. And well, and, that's the thing. He was like the the all time swag king as a head coach when he started out. He had I mean, all types of crazy. He's ones. one of those guys. I mean, there's, there's, you know, a lot. Not every head coach is is six five, six six, six seven. Bob's six five. Mm-hmm. So usually those guys. I mean, John Brandon. He looks good in a suit, right? Six seven, long. I mean, some guys just look really good in that suit. They just have the body type. Back then, hugs did. Now it's. It looks like, honestly, he hasn't washed his hair in three days. Yeah, I mean, look, He just literally, he went through his closet and dug through a bunch of things and goes, God, do I got to pull up? There it is. I'm going to wear this one. It's all wrinkled and stuff. It, he looks a mess. There's a certain ratio there to that height and circumference thing, yes. right? I mean, you look good to a certain extent if you're tall. I mean, once that circumference gets bigger than... Right. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah I'm talking, there's a, body, there's a certain yeah. body type. Well, and to his credit, he did a move I really appreciate, and I think more coaches should do, which is once he became... Frumpy, he just decided to go to the pullover the on pullover. the sideline, which is guy. like half the Horizon League now, I which I really guy. like. I love it. I love yeah, the Mike Davis is a big pullover guy. His whole staff wears I, I've them. always thought the suit and tie was a little much. It's silly for college basketball coaches, especially because they only do it to throw it off when they're mad and when they're overly sweaty and disgusting. Yeah, I, the big joke for Calvin Sampson is uh, how long, or Calvin Sampson is how long does he keep the, the, the suit coat on? Yeah. Ten seconds. I, it's just silly. You know, I mean, I, I don't know why they still do it, but. Good for them. It's almost like, why do managers in baseball wear a uniform? Come on. That is the dumbest thing. That's dumber than basketball coaches wearing suits. Exactly. For sure. Uh, Shout out to House of Adams. Shout out to Bob Huggins. So, yeah, I mean, so I I think we were in the same. Hugs, I guess he's, he's, he's really good. He's earned. He's earned what he's earned, and, yeah. and you can just go, hey, that guy was a really good coach for a really long time. I think to a certain extent, his style and the way he recruits and wants to play has limited him at times. I also think like he may, he may go down as one of the all-time coaches in terms of developing relationships with his players and getting his players to trust what he wants them to do while demanding the most out of him. Yeah, are you surprised? And, and we've, you've talked about the Bob Knight style, and I don't think Hugs is quite like that. I don't think but Bob he's Knight... close. He's close, but I think he also... There's a side to him where I think he also realizes, I'm going to push, 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 and then I'm going to put my arm around you. I'm going to tear you down, and then I'm going to build you back up. And that's what I'm saying. Huggins was able to get... unique s- ability of that. ...was able to get so much toughness out of his guys because he was able to drive them and be so hard on them whilst they still cared about him and knew he cared about them... That's not easy to do, especially the older, the farther along he got in his career and the way the generation started to change and people don't accept that nearly as much now. He still gets away with it at a level that not a lot of coaches do. Yeah, and the one thing, as much as I poked fun at Calipari for doing doing less with more, I think Calipari does that. I mean, Calipari's a screamer. Oh, he definitely does. But yeah. I think there's also the side to him that we don't that you don't see where he's able to rebuild that relationship with a player. And I think the player, I've always said this because I'm a screamer, you know that, but I think as long as the player knows that you have his back and you're actually trying to get the most out of them and that that when the time comes and they do it the right way or do the right thing, you're the first one to tell them that. I do think players appreciate that, and they will play hard for you because of that. And Cal's a little bit different because he's like all of the players' big PR hype man in the media and stuff. Right. Like he he oh. never talks 
he, down about those guys outside of when he's screaming at them on the yeah. floor. Like Huggins, after every game, was like, "We're just not any good. We suck. We're not. We're soft. We we got guys that can't shoot." He was he was asked about about getting to that win total, and he gave the typical quote: "Nah, I don't pay attention to that stuff. I, I don't know. Players. Yeah, just play. We just play. You know, we're, we gotta go to class. I mean, we we gotta go. We're just not any we're good. Just like a chuck. God rest his soul. All right, skinny. Let's talk some betting. Let's do it. Last week in college basketball, I went a robust six and six, and I thought it was worse than that. So that that actually, I feel good about that. Seventy one forty nine and four is my season total. It's Not bad. Good. You went another woeful four and eight, literally at the break even mark. Although with the vig, you know about the vig, right? No, I'm familiar. Vig. You are sixty sixty and four, which means you are a little on the negative sign. With the VIG. Not great. Nope, not great. But we got games to pick, and let's go. Thursday night, 7 p.m. NKU is at Cleveland State. The Norse are favored by six points in that one. The total is 128. I think the loss on Sunday is an aberration, although it does come on the heels of them not playing very well for, what, 10, 12 minutes on Friday and falling behind by double digits. I think they get themselves right. They've had a, a nice three days in between, or a, I guess two and a half technically. Yeah, they need to get healthy. Today. Healthy would be be key too, but I, I just think they go take care of business. I'll go NKU seventy to sixty, so the Norse cover and it goes over. I I think NKU is going to cover this total as well. Um, fortunately, I think some of their bad performances this year have kind of affected those lines and it helps you out in games like this right. if you want to bet on NKU right. because I you know they smacked Cleveland State uh, at NKU. And really, this Norris team has traveled pretty well. They haven't had like big drop-offs in terms of their performance on defense or their shooting when they go on the road. I'm going to say NKU 73, Cleveland State 64. So that's NKU and the over for me as well. The other thing I'll ask you is the last time they got beat by 30 points, and they did get beat by a better team on their floor. The margin, obviously, was, was a little extreme. What did they do the last time they lost by 30-plus against Wright State? Yeah, they came right back they out and turned around. They came right back and turned around, and I think that happens here. Yeah, and for people that didn't watch this past weekend, um, Dantez Walton missed Friday night with a sprained ankle that he had the day before in practice. He came back Sunday but was a total liability, was just ineffective. And then Tyler Sharp was, Tyler Sharp was dealing with strep throat, and he also tweaked his ankle at the end of the game Friday, and so he wasn't very good on Sunday. If those two guys are back to being themselves, I think NKU rules. Yeah, you would one. think the strep throat, he'd be through that by now, right? The, the, the ankle's another matter, but... Theoretically, he's not sick anymore, yeah, I would hope. Yeah. yeah. All right, and we're going right back with the Norse because they're the next game on the slate Saturday at 2 p.m. They are at Youngstown State, and they're just two-point favorites in that game. 136 is the total. Well, based on the fact that I think they go to Cleveland State and take care of business, I think they roll right from that to Youngstown and take care of business as well. So I'll go NKU 72-65, so NKU and the over for me there. Yeah, I think Youngstown State is a really good matchup for them because it's a team that's not you know bigger or more athletic than them inside. Um, they also really need to kind of penetrate and use ball screens to get their offense going. And against the, the NKU zone, that just doesn't seem to work. You kind of got to be spacers, cutters, passers, and shooters – and uh, Youngstown State doesn't really play that way. So I'm going to go NKU 75, Youngstown State 67. That's NKU and the over. We basically so both have the same margin almost. Yeah, we're right on the same uh, wavelength here on these games so far. And that brings us to Saturday at 2.30 p.m. Half an hour later, Villanova will tip off at the Centa Center against Xavier. The Musketeers are actually one-point favorites, according to Ken Palm. 135 is the total. 
I mean, X just stole one against St. John's, right? They just literally stole one. Um, I, 22 to four turnover differential. I, 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 I'm still trying to figure out how in the hell they won that game. But you know what? They don't ask you how. They just ask if you want it, right? And that's what they did. I think they roll that game into, into, into this one. Being at home, this is not this is not your uh, your brother from two years ago's Villanova team. Uh, the last few years, it's a good one. I don't think it's a great one. And I think the fact that Xavier's at home with a lot on the line, a chance to get a huge huge victory. Um, I think I think Xavier actually wins this comfortably. I'll go X seventy one sixty five. So X and the over. Wow. You know, it's funny. I, I want to go down that road you're going down, and I look at this matchup for Xavier. Heck, they got they dug themselves a big hole at Villanova and then came back and right. were right in that game. They had success going inside, which is what they need to do to win. Villanova is among the bottom teams in the conference in terms of two-point field goal percentage on the defensive end, which those are the teams Xavier does well against. The teams that don't guard the post real well, let you get offensive rebounds, score in the interior, those are the teams Xavier can beat. Villanova is one of those teams. I just I just can't see a Xavier team that turns the ball over and plays as sloppy and at times stupid as this Xavier team does they do. down the stretch. They I just do. can't see them pulling out a close one against a Villanova J. Wright coach team. I'm going to go Villanova 67, wow. Xavier 64. That's Nova and the under. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Xavier won this. I just, not with this year's group. They're not beating Villanova. I just, for me, Nova just. It, They've been really inconsistent, and I just they are, and I, and I just I just I can't hang my hat on it. I'd rather hang my hat on Xavier at home. I'm just I can't bet on it. I could see it happening, but I can't bet on it. Saturday, six p.m. Florida is at Kentucky. The Wildcats are four point favorites. One thirty eight is the total on that one. All right, the, the last Saturday game against Ole Miss, there was literally no crowd action. They the crowd was dead. The team was dead. They played dead. That's the truth. And still, and, and didn't sh- made two of twenty two threes. Didn't shoot it great. Didn't didn't, didn't even shoot it even adequate. Um, and still found a way to win. If you were to pick the biggest rival for Kentucky in the SEC in basketball, who is it? Probably Florida. Probably Florida. Auburn's getting there over the last few years. Yeah, recently it's been Auburn. I would say Florida's yeah. overall the bigger rival. Florida's, so the, you, at 6 o'clock on a Saturday where the kids have been drinking a little bit and the parents have been tailgating a little bit and they've been in the Hyatt Regency bar, that crowd is going to be wired. You would think. Kentucky's not going 2 of 22 at home again. Although, it is, isn't it crazy? And Chad brought it up on, on the Sunday podcast. The home and road splits for them shooting threes is just ridiculous. They shoot it terribly at home. They shoot it really well on the road, and you saw it against LSU. Seven for seven on threes in the second half. Yeah, they were unbelievable. It was crazy. I, no, they're not going seven for seven. I, this is the bet of the week for me if it stays. If that number's at four, I would load on it. I'll go Kentucky 77, Florida 65. So Kentucky and the over. Yeah, I'm with you. Unfortunately, I'm going to be out of town, so I won't be able to get to a sports book and place that one. But I agree with you. I think this is a uh, a really good line. I could see this game being close because, as you just brought up, Kentucky hasn't shot the ball well at home for whatever reason. They've left teams in the game when they've been at home. And Florida needs a big win. Florida's desperate. I mean, they're going to be coming in with a, a quad one road win on their mind. I just don't see it happening, though. I think it'll stay somewhat close. But UK wins this one, 73-68. That's UK and the over. All right. Sunday at 1 p.m. to wrap this slate up, we've got Wichita State in Cincinnati playing the Bearcats. The Bearcats are three-point favorites. 135 is the total. Well, I don't trust UC on the road. I do trust them at home. Um, 
I know that, you know, they were all out to make that crazy comeback against Memphis, but they made it and they won it. And there's that. Uh, I'm just, I think I, this Wichita team isn't very good. Um, they, they, they're also in the desperate mode and, um, unless they win the conference tournament, I think UC hits them in the mouth early and they, they roll. I'll go Bearcats 71 59. So UC in the under. Wichita has a hard time scoring at times. They're painful. Yeah, we're right along the same wavelength here on that one. I, I think it's going to be a little bit closer than you do, but in terms of UC and the under, I agree with you. I'm going to say UC 68, Wichita 63. Um, Wichita just isn't any good, but UK, UC seems to have a way to make these games close at the end, closer than they need to be, but I, I think they'll be in control of this one in the second half. It's funny. We both took the underdog in the double-digit game in the very first game, and then we all t- and I took the favorite from there on out. The only other underdog you took was, was Villanova, and basically they're at a pick'em line. So we're, we're kind of on the favorite train this week, and that's chalk. never a good place to be. Never good to be betting the chalk. But, hey, it's our picks, and we're standing by And them. I've stunk either way, so just yep. fade me. Fix that lip and i'm sorry again for slapping you like that and, and um you know my eye is going to get better hey, uh, no like i said deal, well, i'm not going to sue you i'm not, i like you but i'm not going to sue you all fair and loving podcast i may kick your ass when this podcast is over too but i still like you. beat you summarily as nick marquez said they deserve a beat rick boring deserves a beat thanks for being with us for rick boring i'm richard skinner it's the skinny podcast the weekly potpourri edition <laughs>